So, let's turn uh, to Matthew chapter 7. We want to welcome you to a new series called The Great Sermon. The Great Sermon. And that is not me telling you how this sermon's going to be that I'm giving. It's telling you how good Jesus' sermon was from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He preached a great sermon that took up three chapters, and uh, it was so great. I love these statements that's at the end of it. Uh, the great sermon, right? The Sermon on the Mount. It starts off with the Beatitudes, bless this, bless that. It starts off, and then it goes through, and it teaches us how to live. And look at this. I want you to see this. Uh, this is what marks a great sermon. And he says here in Matthew chapter 7, in 28... And 29, when Jesus had finished these words, in other words, when Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. As similar to what Doyle was just saying, I've been in church, but I haven't heard it like this. You know, I haven't heard what you brought out of the word, you know, and many of you have had that, you know, testimony uh, at Boomerang, which is great. Uh, I do want, I do want to say this though, uh, preaching, preaching is not, uh, Paul said it over in Corinthians. He said, he said, look, my preaching is not with persuasive words of man's wisdom or convincing words of man's wisdom, but my preaching is with demonstration and power. Yeah. I, would, I would say that based off of Paul's words, which were also given by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see today that it's true, that Jesus was not just amazing them with his logic. He was amazing them with what he was imparting to them spiritually. There was something more than logic coming across. And, it, and when they got to the end, they were like, wow, oh my goodness, you know. Hey, listen, as a preacher, I seek to be like that. Have I always hit the mark? No. Uh, will I hit it today? I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope so. But will I? I don't know. But I'm looking to get better and better. But here's the thing. Jesus preached one. And this is the way his preaching was all the time. He never missed it. You know. And, and the crowds were amazed. Yeah. They were amazed. I mean they were sitting there. The way this reads. The crowds were sitting there going. Wow. Who is this guy? You know. What is this? And he had just, all he had done was taught them how to live. And, and as we go through it, there's going to be some stuff that you recognize. It's like, wait a minute, those were my toes you just stepped on. You know, but even though there were toes that just got stepped on, they were sitting there amazed. Yeah. They were amazed. L listen to this again. When he had finished these words, the crowds were, crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. He was preaching this. I'm, I would say it like this. He wasn't just, have you ever heard somebody preaching a theory or preaching something that they believed in with their mind, but they didn't believe it in their heart? Have you ever seen that? And there's a difference how it comes across. All of a sudden, when you have somebody that truly believes what they're 
preaching or what they're speaking on, it's different. You can tell it. They're, they believe this. They're living by this way. They understand it. And there's something, I believe this is what it's saying. He, was, he had an authority on it because he believed it with all his heart. This is where we need to get as Christians is we don't just need to be checking the box and going to a church service. Even if, if the church is awesome, we don't just need to be sitting there. We need to allow those things to change us to the point where we don't just believe it and amen it in our head, but in our heart, our heart is changed. This is where we're supposed to be as Christians. And if our heart is changed, then our actions are changed and our life is changed. But so many times uh, what we do is we just amen it and it's like, good, I checked the box on Sunday morning, but Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're not living by that. We're not living by it. I promise you, and in, in everybody here in their life, including my own, if I could follow you throughout the week and ask you some questions as you go, it wouldn't take more generally than a few hours for me to pinpoint how much Jesus isn't operating as your Lord. It wouldn't take long to do it. And now, that statement is not to put pressure or condemnation on you. That statement is there to be like the alarm clock that says, is that really true? Why would he say that? Yeah. And the fact is, it is really true. You know, one of the things that I found out early on as a pastor was I didn't need to correct everybody when I saw it. Because it turns out when you correct everybody, every time you see something, they don't like hanging around you. You know, and this is, I did that. That was me. I tried to correct everything. Why? Well, I thought I was being a good pastor, but I didn't realize that I was force feeding people. You know, you, they have to get to the place where they have their own heart change. You know, they have to get to that place. And, uh, and I did it wrong. And eventually I had to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I've missed it. And I was trying to do right, but I missed it, you know, and I apologize. And I, I said that, I did that. But it, it's one of those things where it is actually true. If I was able to sit there and go with most people, I could show you why. Because in the past... I gave myself to those changes, and so I recognize them. I see what things tripped me up, and I constantly am changing things in my own life, and I'm constantly giving myself to that fine-tuning of the hand of the Lord because He loves me so much, and those that He loves, He disciplines. So there's always a discipline open to me. The question is, am I hearing it and then moving because of it? And when you get to the place where you really are all in, you really are sold out on the things of God, there's some things that become evident to you and all of a sudden you start living that way and you start speaking different. We have an example in... um, we have an example. There's a series that I'll be doing again called Reset. And one of the things we talk about is let's say that you and God uh, were sitting there or you and Jesus and in your life Jesus came and he visited with you and he hung out with you uh, every single day. How would your day change? Well, that question right there would probably show you a lot of areas where, you know, where we've not had it right. But here's what I'm really getting at is not what we're getting wrong, but what would be right with him in the picture? A lot, right? Would you have any worries about anything? 
And it's like, if I needed something, if Jesus is sitting right there and I need something and I pray, do you think that thing's going to get answered? I would. I'm thinking, man, Jesus is here. Ain't nothing coming on me. Right? Jesus is here. You know? I might even get a little bit more feisty with the devil. Yeah, devil, what's up? You know, I, I might do that. What's going on? You know, why? Because Jesus is here. But see, he is here. He's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But see, here's the thing. If he's actually here with you, wouldn't you believe a little bit differently? Wouldn't you act a little bit? Wouldn't you act with more confidence? And let me ask you this. If he was actually there with you and he started answering prayers and he started, you started seeing results because he was there with you, would you, would anybody be able to stop you from telling other people about Jesus? No, they wouldn't. You would be telling people about him all the time. Why? Because he's that real. Now see, this is the relationship that's described in the word constantly. And yet, one of the biggest problems in the church today is the church is telling nobody about Jesus. You know why? Because that relationship's not as real as what it should be. Amen. That intimate fellowship with him, they're, they're not walking in it. It's hard. See, it's hard to not talk about Jesus when you have that intimate fellowship. It's hard to not bring him into every detail of your life. And when you have that intimate fellowship with him. And so one of the things that happens is when we get that, there's an authority that comes in us. A boldness, a confidence. And that's what they were saying. Hey, this guy isn't just preaching. This guy isn't just ministering. He's carrying something. And they were amazed. By what they heard and what they saw. He just finished wrapping up a sermon and it was great. I mean, it was great. And so the Lord, several months ago, he prompted me. He said, uh, he prompted me in my spirit, you need to teach on that. You need to teach on the great sermon and go through it line by line. Go through each scripture, each principle that's listed in there. And there's quite a few uh, principles in there. Uh, there are several, I listed just four major themes. I think these are ones that just, you know, mean something to me. And I see them in here. Other people might find others. But there's four themes in there. One of the things I would tell you too, your handout definitely couldn't get all the scriptures and notes on it. But if you look at the top, it says uh, go to bclife.org slash notes. You can always pull up the full notes there. If you're watching online over to the right side, uh, you should see where it says the Great Sermon 1. You can click on that and get the notes. But you'll notice here, here are some major themes that Jesus covers in the Great Sermon. You're blessed. That's one. Right off the bat, blessed is this, blessed is that. He wants to get the blessing of God to you. The second major theme is power and light. The third major theme is, it's about the heart. And the fourth one is, there's two systems. The kingdom of God system and the world system. And most people are operating by the world system, but they don't have to. They can operate by the kingdom system and it works so much better. So much better. In the great sermon, 
He covered a large number of topics on how to live and have full life. Uh, those topics were, it's all about power light. You got to understand this whole sermon, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is this whole sermon is about the power of God and the light, the revelation and the hope and getting that into your life. Uh, he talked about being blessed topics, being blessed. He talked about being the salt and the light. He talked about that it's about your heart. There's, a, there's not just a, a surface righteousness, but there's a depth of righteousness to live out. Uh, he talks about the seriousness of sin. He talks about loving on people. He says, beware of a desire to be noticed by men. How to fast and pray. Two systems, the kingdom versus the world. He talks about not worrying. He talks about seeking first his kingdom and righteousness. He talks about judging others and counseling them. He talks about receiving the Holy Spirit. He talks about the golden rule. He talks about the fact that you'll be known by your fruit. And then he wraps it up with the foundation for your life should be doing his will and keeping his commandments. Uh, I wrote down, walk it, don't just talk it. Right. <laughs> the foundation for your life should not just be, hey, I'm a Christian, but actually to live by Christ's principles. Uh, walk it, don't just talk it. Now, here's the thing. When you start looking at these ways to live life, I mean, I just listed what, you know, 12, 13 different topics. And each one of them gives us some instruction on how to live our life. Uh, anybody checked off all the boxes of how Jesus told you to live yet? I hadn't either. Right. And a lot of times what happens is people get overwhelmed by this. And the reason is that they, they start looking at, I've got to keep this list and I've got to check off all this stuff and do this and don't do that and everything like that. And they're looking at it from a physical perspective and not seeing the supernatural power that he's actually given you through his grace to live godly. Yeah. You know, grace is not... Uh, the power to live ungodly. Actually, it says in Peter, grace is there to deny ungodliness, to deny it. In other words, grace is an empowerment to fulfill these things. It's an empowerment to fulfill these things. And what we're going to see uh, through this, I wrote this down. Don't be overwhelmed because through God you can. That's right. Don't be overwhelmed. Through God, you can. Yes, yeah. Don't be overwhelmed. Through God, you can. I don't care who you are or where you came from. You can live at the heights that Jesus wants you to live through him and through his power. You by yourself? No. But through Jesus, yes, you can. Don't be overwhelmed. Through God, you can. You can. Now... One of the things that you'll see in here is that all of this is setting up something. All of this is setting up a life for you to live in and live in the power and the light of God. The revelation and the hope. The power and the hope of God. The great sermon sets this up. Do you realize that God wants you to live in power? He wants you, not, not just me, you. Yes. He wants you to live in power. He wants you to have hope. Yes. 
You mean I don't have to live beat up and, and be worried about what tomorrow is going to bring because it's going to stink and, and I'm going to get this phone call to pay this bill or I, I'm going to wake up with this sickness again. He, he wants you to actually live in power and in a light of God, a revelation and a hope. It's a reality, I was telling when we introduced, it's a reality. And I can tell you it from experience, once we started to apply things in this word, many people in here already in different areas, they start to apply things and all of a sudden the power of God starts to really go to work for them. The hope of God starts to spring up inside of them. This gospel is good news, not stinky news. It's good news. And it's not fake. <laughs> you know, that's a big thing today. Yeah. It's not fake news. It's good news. It's real. Amen. Let me tell you, if you want to turn on your news, you, you want to turn on TV and go to news, just don't. Just, just go read this news. Amen. Just go read this news. This news does so much more for you than any of that. And just, you know, the Lord told me a, a little bit ago, about a year and a half ago, he said, I want you to fast from all media for a year. And I was like, oh, no movies for a year. Oh, I don't want to do that. And he was like, well, just draw on me. I'll empower you to do it and everything. Because that, if, I, if I had free time, I would, you know, fall asleep watching a movie or something like that. And uh, that was what I enjoyed. I was like, man, but also no news, no scrolling on Facebook. I did all that for a year. I'm going to tell you, I came out of that year a different person. You know, while everybody else was fretting about this and that and everything else and elections and walls and, and, and all this different kind of stuff and, and what's Europe going to do and where's the dollar and where's this and where's that and blah, 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 blah you know, I was at peace. I was like, glory to God. Because guess what? No matter what headline comes out tomorrow, God's still God. God's still God. He's still on the throne. And I found out he loves me and gave me good news. Why in the world would I put in garbage where people are trying to get me to get in fear just to sell me to come and watch or listen to them again tomorrow? I'm not falling for that system. I'm just going to put in good news. And I'll tell you, everything that was actually happening in the world that I needed to know about, God got it to me. God got it to me. Somebody would walk up and say, hey, did you hear about this? Oh, okay, thanks. I didn't, and I hardly needed to know about anything. That was another amazing fact. I didn't hardly need to know about any of that mess. I just needed to know him. He'd show me. And so this is good news and it'll help us more than anything else. Now, the point of the great sermon is to move you to the place where you walk in that power, not just talk about it. You, you walk in that power. Not just pastor, not just Jesus, not just the apostles. Yep. You, you, you walk in that hope. You remember the scripture that says that you need to be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you? You know why? Because you're supposed to be living in so much hope that people notice and they start asking you about it. You mean I can live at the place where people notice how hopeful I am? I've never lived that way all of my life. I know. That's why I'm here to tell you today. I'm here to proclaim to you that you can live in that hope. And it's a reality. It's not fake. It's good news. And God wants you to have it. 
I can live like that? You sure can. It's all over this word. He's a God of hope who wants to fill you with this hope. Romans 15, 13. He wants to fill you with all joy and peace in believing and fill you with that hope. See, many people have called normal the worry that the world system has taught them. They've called that normal. It's not normal at all. That's not even close to God's normal. I've had people that have called me, uh, Nicole and I, Pollyanna before. Y'all like see the world with rosy glasses. No, we just see it through the hope of God. And they were saying it as a compliment. They were saying, I've never met somebody who's so optimistic about things. Because stuff doesn't seem to bother you. And that's because even if the devil tries to present a problem, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Just like no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every fiery dart will be quenched. No evil will befall you. He'll take that thing, turn it, and all of a sudden blow your life up with blessings. That's the God we serve. He is hopeful. He is full of hope. And you can have it just like I can have it. Because it's promised to us right here. Amen. Amen. So this whole sermon is about getting you to that place. But there's something in it that says, there's something in the word that says, look, if you're going to walk like this, there's things that you need to do. Over in 2 Corinthians 9, there's a verse, it's talking about giving, it's talking about sowing and reaping. But it makes this statement and it applies not just to finances, it applies to your life. It says that you can increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, once you accept Jesus, you are made righteous. But just because you're made righteous doesn't mean you walk in the full harvest that God has for you. Jesus is preaching this message to get you to power and hope. But you're going to have to walk out some of these things to actually move into those levels. But don't fret if you don't feel worthy of living that way yet. Here's what you do. Man, I don't feel like I can accomplish a one. Jesus says, look at me, take me by the hand, and I will cause you to walk on the water. I'll cause you to walk on that. I'll cause you to be strengthened. All you've got to do is turn to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. All you've got to do is take me by the hand. But see, what happens is on Monday morning and Tuesday morning, all of a sudden we get into a situation. We don't want to look at Jesus. What we want is revenge on whoever talked bad about us. And that's how we miss it. But if in that moment we'll say, all right, Jesus, show me what to do. My flesh, it wants to go lay hands on. Drop some elbows. Y'all know. That person you think about right now, just pray for him. But what we need to do is look at Jesus. And what you'll find is you'll find strength to say, no, nah, I'm not going to bust them up. I'm going to go after Jesus. I'm going to put on Jesus. Praise you, Jesus, right? And all of a sudden, you'll find the strength that you need in that moment. That's what this is all about. It's not about giving you a big list that you can't do. It's telling you a different way. And if you'll realize that this is a possibility, all of a sudden, you'll be able to do those things by taking him by the hand. And your life will rise to power and hope.
power and light. Now, before we get into today, we're not even really getting into the sermon, but I want you to see how it's all about power and light because you can't get into the message without understanding this. You can't get into the scriptures of what Jesus preached without understanding the setup and how he got to that place and what was he up to when he started preaching this message. And so uh, one of the things, there's a process. So let's kind of set the the scene here. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 you see that the first thing that happened was John the Baptist came on the scene and John the Baptist's job was to set the path straight, to make ready the path, the ways for the Messiah to come in. And so, in other words, what's he doing? He's getting people prepared to receive a message. John the Baptist is getting people prepared to receive a message. Uh, Here's one of those things. Have you ever noticed that you've learned something new and the first time you hear about it being something new, uh, you don't really believe it? But then if you hear it four or five times, then all of a sudden it becomes maybe a possibility. It's kind of like this dumb commercial that's out right now. Um, Y'all can laugh at that. Um, It's this dumb commercial that's got this awful, awful singing on it, but the tune is catchy. Right? Anybody notice? Anybody know what commercial I'm talking about? (laughs) Amen. There's this commercial out right now. I hate the song. I hate the singing. I'm like, why in the world would they do that? But the tune is catchy. And all of a sudden, the first two or three times I heard it, I just went, oh, golly. And then uh, I heard it again. And then all of a sudden, I found myself humming the tune. (laughs) I hate that. I don't like that. But you know what? That's how we were designed. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You see, the enemy uses stuff like that too. He prepares you to receive lies. Right? He'll use spiritual laws. So he'll tell you stuff. Uh, The media grabbed a hold of this a long time ago. They'll, They'll completely push... A society in a direction if they just keep reporting on the same thing. Another reason why you don't need to listen to all that stuff. Read this. Amen. Anyway. <laughs> it got so quiet. It's good. Anyway. <laughs> sometimes it's good to mess a little bit, you know. As a lot of times that's the Holy Ghost getting in your business, kind of, kind of saying, hey, you need to be over here, not where you were, you know. Anyway, what happens is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And that word, that verse there means hearing and hearing and hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. And the more you hear the word, the more it builds inside of you strength. So it works in a good way. It can work in a, in a bad way too if you listen to the wrong things or watch the wrong things. But what he did was he started preparing the way for Jesus to come in with the message. And so John the Baptist came saying, repent. Now, a lot of times when people hear repent, I want to jump on this real quick. Because a lot of times when people hear repent, they move straight into condemnation. Like, I've got to change my ways or else I'm damned. 
right? That's condemnation. I'm taking damnation for not being in the right place, and I'm carrying the weight of that. But Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So we don't take the judgment of condemnation, but we do listen for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to change. And so here's, here's John saying repent, and you have to understand, and then Jesus later on says repent too, but you have to understand that repent is just not you filthy, dirty sinner. That's not repent. That's where most people's mind and where church has even taken a lot of people too. I mean, the guy standing on the corner, repent or you're all going to hell, right? And, and that actually may be true, but the heart that you're, that you're preaching it from may be the wrong heart because it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And so what you're getting at, and you're going to see this, is he was actually, repent means to change direction or change the way, uh, this is a good, change the way you're thinking. Your thinking, your thinking is going this way and it needs to go this way, right? It needs to go this way. And so right now, one of the things that you have to understand about the setup of the great sermon is that at this time in the Jewish uh, society, they were all looking for a Messiah to come in and wipe Rome out. They were looking for a Messiah to come in uh, with a, they were looking for like a David, right? In the flesh to come in and just conquer. They were looking for a Joshua, right? They were looking for a Moses. They were looking for all three of those in one person. The Moses to set them free, the Joshua to conquer the land, and the David to set up the kingdom, right? They were looking for that in the Messiah. And, but here's the thing. Our thinking and God's thinking is different. And what they needed to repent was they were thinking about it in this way and God had a whole nother way of going. And then, yes, amen. This is what he was setting up. In other words, he was saying, you've got to repent and change what you're thinking because your thinking needs to be a different direction. It's going to come about differently than what you think. And then eventually he's talking about what's different is the kingdom of God is coming on the earth. But they thought he's going to establish this monarchy. But that's not what God was up to. God was saying the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is within you. What he was saying is this power of God and this hope is going to be within you. And then this is the other thing that he was saying was you keep seeing things like it's in the flesh, in the physical. Like you put your hand to it and change it. But this was the other thing. You keep trying to handle things physically and I want you to handle them spiritually. Now he gave us a type and shadow of this. Uh, you remember when Moses and the Israelites were out in the desert and they were going and they needed water, right? And they came to, twice to a rock and, and they needed water. And they came the first time and what did God tell Moses to do? Take your staff, strike the rock. And when he struck the wa- rock, water came out, right? Now this is a type and a shadow of the shift in the kingdom, the shift, the, the repenting, the turnaround that they needed. He told them, strike the rock. 
And so he struck the rock and water flowed out. Well, then the next time they came around, they needed some water again, and God changed it up. And God didn't say, strike the rock this time. He said this. He said, speak to the rock. Why? Because he was showing a type and a shadow of things to come in the kingdom where you won't go about it physically by the constant uh, sacrifice of blood and bulls and be moved into God's kingdom and into his good graces through physical means anymore. Once Jesus comes, you will move and act like God. You are made and created in his image and he said, let there be light and there was light. He created with his speech and with faith. And so he wasn't just saying repent because the kingdom's not coming like you think. He was also saying repent and change your way of thinking because the kingdom operates differently than you think. It operates differently. And you're going to have to do it. I want to point out notice what was the sin that kept Moses out of the promised land and out of salvation? Because he hit the rock. He kept trying to do it his way instead of doing it God's way. He, he kept trying to do something physical when God told him, step back, have faith, and speak to it. Operate by this. So now here comes John the Baptist, and let's read uh, chapter 3. He's preparing the way. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, now you hear the word repent, you should think. Change your way of thinking. The kingdom of heaven is about right now. Right now they're thinking, this looks awful. They hadn't heard from God in 400 years at this point. They hadn't heard from him. There's been no prophet with the hand of the Lord on them. They haven't seen God, heard from God. They're thinking, man, this is awful. We're under Roman rule. And he's saying, change your way of thinking. Stop thinking death and defeat. You need to take hope right now. See, most people attribute John's message as being very negative, but it was actually very hopeful. He's saying, change your way of thinking. And when you see the context of it, what I gave you before, then you look at his message, it looks different. I just showed you the full counsel of the word on that. And it's not all of it. I just showed you parts of it. And I showed you pieces of it. And now you look at John's message and you're like, oh, I see what he was lining up. All right. And so now he's saying, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I want you to notice something. What the word kingdom, what does it come from? And basically you're looking at, look at it like this. The domain of the king, the king's domain, the king's rule. Now, look, if I had two different kings, one was a bad, evil king, and one was a good and generous king, which one's rule, which one's domain do I want to be under? The generous one. Why? Because the rules that he sets up, they're good. They're awesome. They're great. But it depends on the king's set of rules that are in place as to how my life goes. It depends on that. 
And so now all of a sudden when he says repent, the king's set of rules, the king's domain is at hand. Now this is not a condemnation message. This is a what? It's about here? The king's domain, the king's set of rules is here? Glory to God. We're about to step into it now. He's prophesying. But what is he doing? He's preparing. He's speaking this. And he's preparing a heart of the people to say, I'm ready for it. Because the next time they hear the preacher come along that says that, and he says the kingdom is now, they're ready to receive it. They've heard it preached. Faith has started to build. And now Jesus comes along and says the kingdom is now. It's within you. And they go, this is it. And they take it by faith and it becomes theirs. Can you see this? So he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, he's talking about John the Baptist was the one that Isaiah referred to. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John was setting it up so that Jesus could just step right in and say what he needed to say and the people would be ready to receive it. He was doing the work. You know, a lot of people want to be like the apostle, but how many people want to be John? To do the work. And then once he does the work, He does. He even says, he must increase, I must decrease. In other words, he does the work and then he backs out of the way. This is actually uh, what got the devil in trouble. You know, the devil was a worship leader. And we, we have great worship team. I love them. They do an awesome, awesome job. But there's a whole bunch of worship teams that don't do. Because what they want is they don't want to back out of the way so that the word can come. They want to be the message. They want to be in the spotlight. That's what got the devil in trouble. But this is what John the Baptist did right. And this is one thing we need to recognize is like, look, this kingdom, it takes work. Over in Ephesians 4, it says that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they are given to the body for the, to teach them, train them, build them up for the work, work, work. of ministry. It's work. But a lot of people want to give more work Monday through Friday than they want to to the kingdom. And they have a backwards thinking of yeah. God's things. They should be thinking more about the kingdom. And Jesus actually says this in the sermon. They should be thinking more about the kingdom than they are their own. So here he says, John the Baptist, are we being like John the Baptist? Are we doing the work? So he says this. John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Then Jerusalem was going out to him. And all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. In other words, as they were going out there, they were realizing, I'm not doing this exactly right. And as a sign of that, let me be baptized. And in other words, I am putting to death my old ways and I'm rising up in new ways. 
I'm putting to death the old thinking. I'm now repenting, turning my mind around, and I'm rising up in new ways. And then he says, and watch this. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who wanted you to flee from the wrath to come? Who warned you to flee? Well, that's like me standing up here preaching and all of a sudden we have pastors from around the area come in uh, that are preaching religion and me going, you bunch of snakes, who told you to come hear the message? You know, a lot of times we read over that and we think about John, but we don't put it in a context that fits and matches us. I mean, what would y'all think if all the leaders of the churches came in here and they were all sitting on the front row and then I started talking to them like that? Y'all be like, ooh, Jesus. <laughs> That's my pastor? You know, that, yeah, right? But this is John. What is he doing? He's preparing the way. Over in Jeremiah, it says this. It says um, to... Pull down, rip up, pull down, overthrow, destroy, then build and plant. In other words, what John was doing was he was starting to topple some of these religious spirits and get them ready so that the path would be cleared for Jesus. We do that today in prayer. We pray. We start pulling down these things that will hold you back from hearing the word in a, in a service. That's why it's so important for everybody. All of you are invited to be here at pre-service prayer, Frontlines Prayer, 9 a.m. Everybody's invited. And it's important. Why? Because spiritually, not physically, but spiritually, remember the kingdom is moving like that. We pull down the strongholds yep. so that the word can go out when the service happens and all other things. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're doing the work. We're doing the work. So then it says this. He saw the Pharisees, Sadducees, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit. In other words, don't just give me lip service, you brood of vipers. But your actions, if you truly repent, your actions will show it. If you amen me on Sunday morning, bear fruit that shows your agreement and your change. Bear fruit. And do you not suppose that you can say, now he's still talking to them. Do you not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father? For I say to you that these stones, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. And he's laying it on. He's piling on. It's spot on. In other words, well, listen, this is what Jesus says over in the great sermon a little bit later. He said, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? Many will get to me in heaven and say, Lord, Lord. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. That means that's people going to church. That's a lot of people going to church. Now, which is better to just keep pre- you know, just keep preaching and never bring that kind of stuff up? Or is it better to actually shine some light on something that can send them to hell? Right, yeah. right. Well, look, the word's very clear on that. 
And that's not being unloving, it's just speaking the truth. But if you will humble yourself to the truth, truth will set you free. In other words, one of the things that's got to happen is you can't just show up and amen. You've got to actually move to the place where fruit is being produced in a positive way. In other words, I'm starting to have change in my life. It's affecting my decisions and I'm living differently. Because God wants to get you to power and he wants to get you to light. And he says, look, just because you go to church, that don't mean anything. Just because you're a, a child of Abraham, that doesn't mean anything. That's what John was saying it to him. doesn't mean a thing. God will turn, turn these rocks into children. In other words, that's like him saying, just because you're here on Sunday morning, that doesn't mean anything. God will turn that chair into a child of God. Right. That's what he's saying. Right. All right. John's getting the way. Then he says, the axe is already, I mean, he keeps on. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree, and therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, the word says this, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You need to take this thing to the Lord and know that you know that you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven and that Jesus is your Lord, not just think it. And he's saying, look, already, there's an axe chopping away and, and it's about to be thrown, you're about to be thrown into the fire if you don't repent. In other words, don't just hear good preaching a minute and be happy that you're there. Your fruit has to show the change. Your fruit has to show the change. And, and what's he getting the people prepared for? He, he's not just talking to the Pharisees. And the people are hearing this too. He's saying, look, okay, this thing needs to be real. It needs to be real. It's not that God's looking to throw people into the fire. He doesn't want that at all. But it does need to be real. Yeah. It needs to be genuine and not just talked about. Then he says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you, very important verse, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now remember, John is preparing the way for Jesus and he's also showing us what Jesus is going to be up to. And what Jesus is going to be up to is he's going to take the Holy Ghost power and the fire of God and give it to people. Right? He says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Whew. Yep. Anybody need a breather after all that? Well, is it true? Yes. Yeah. What's the point? What is John trying to get them to? Repentance. He's trying to get them to repentance, but then what's the repentance going to lead them to? The fruit. the fruit. The power and the hope of God. In other words, there's somebody that's about to come on the scene, Jesus, who's going to change everything. And he's not going to play religious games like the scribe and Pharisees. He's actually going to deal with the issues and he's going to teach people how to move up to the level that they should be at. 
He's going to show them how this hope, this power, this love can be real in their lives. You've seen a whole lot of people that are just playing religious games. They say they're looking for Jesus, but we know what happens when Jesus actually gets in front of them. They don't even recognize him. They kill him. They don't even recognize the Messiah because their mind was so unrepentant, so unwilling to change, so so prideful with a lack of humility, they wouldn't even open up their mind to the concept that it might not be the way I thought it was. That's pride. And because of that, the people had become spiritually dead. And John is preparing the way. He's tilling the hard ground. You ever tilled up soil that's hard and compacted? It's work. And that's what John's doing. He's breaking up the ground. Why? So that when Jesus comes and he starts preaching that word, those words of life, that seed of the word, it's going to fall on fertile soil and the people are ready to receive him as the Messiah. They're ready to move into the power and the hope that God has for them. And it's not playing religious games. Then you see this. Verse 13 through 17, something so important happens. And it might not be what you think it is. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You realize Jesus was the Son of God already, but you understand that he understood. Jesus understood that even though he was righteous in his deeds, he did everything that he needed to do to be the substitute. He said, even though, even though I may have already accomplished this, let me do this to make sure it's done right. Let me make sure that I fulfill everything the Father has for me and not leave one thing unattended. Yeah. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart that we're supposed to have. Then John permitted him. Verse 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, in whom I'm well pleased. Now, what I want you to see here is that when Jesus was baptized, this is the key, the heavens were open. The heavens were opened. And what does that mean? This was the entrance of the kingdom of heaven into the earth. This was the entrance. I want you to see this. They didn't just open. They opened for a reason. You know where it says that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? The fervent prayer. The fervent prayer of a righteous man. If you go to the Amplified, it says it releases a power dynamic in its working. There had to be a righteous man on earth that knew how to open up the heavens again. Because from the garden, when man fell, the heavens and the blessings of the Lord was closed off. And man could not access it. He couldn't pull it down. But then if you turn over to Luke chapter 3... 
and verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, it gives us an account of this as well. And Jesus was also baptized while he was praying, heaven was opened. Heaven was opened. What happened? Jesus fulfills all righteousness. And then as a righteous man, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man releases power. It avails much. Our power dynamic in its working. The righteous man prays, Lord, where heaven has been closed to all mankind for all these years. And we would say it today, in the name, may they now be opened. And all of a sudden, all of the power and the hope of God was released on mankind. And from this point forward, the kingdom had entered earth. The kingdom of heaven had entered earth. Do you see that? Yeah. Now this is the key. Because when you understand what Jesus was trying to get to the people, you understand that it's not just a list of things to do. He's trying to get power and God's love on the people. He's trying to get a power and God's love on the people. He's trying to get a hope to them. And then the Holy Spirit leads them out into the wilderness. He's tempted. Jesus is tempted in every way. You know, can you imagine the devil sitting there at the baptism? Like, you know, you're sitting there, all these people are getting baptized. I imagine the devil didn't care too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't really mean it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what you did last night. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Right? But then all of a sudden, Jesus gets baptized. Dunk. Right. Open the heavens. <laughs> and in the spirit, heaven's open. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost. Whoa! Holy Ghost. I ain't seen you in a while. Holy Ghost. You know, comes down on Jesus, and then all of a sudden, God's, God's like this. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And the devil's probably like this. Uh-oh. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. What just happened? Wait a, wait a second. That was, that was different. That was different. What just happened? Can you imagine, like, we might not have been able to feel it physically, but can you imagine in the spiritual what just happened at that moment? Boom! I mean, it shifted. Uh, Some just changed. And the devil, now, don't you know, the devil was probably watching him. Now, watching Jesus up to this point. And you got to understand that didn't Jesus had to learn things just like us. A lot of people think that Jesus arrived, you know, in the barn, like knowing everything God knows. He didn't. It says he had to be like a man like us. And then it says he learned obedience. If he was like God from the beginning, he wouldn't have to learn it. He learned obedience. The other thing was if he knew everything that God knew, he couldn't be tempted like us. He had to be tempted with the thoughts, just like we are, stuff like this. And the word says over in Hebrews, he was tempted in the same way, uh, just as we are, yet without sin. He didn't know all that stuff. But here, all of a sudden, there's a shifting. The devil's like, "Uh uh-oh, he was probably already watching Jesus a little bit. But this confirmed the devil's fears. 
And so the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out to the wilderness. You know, it, did he lead him out there to get tempted? Well, he probably knew that that was going to happen, but that's not the reason. He led them out there to be in intimacy with the Father. That's where the power comes from. Come on. He led him to intimacy. You, you know, there was not one miracle done in Jesus' life. You know, little baby Jesus didn't walk on water. Like, uh, would you get under the water, Jesus? I'm trying to give you a bath. Now, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Because it says the first miracle was at the wedding in Canaan. This was his first miracle, right? It didn't, it, it wasn't baby Jesus can't get him under the water. That wasn't it. The first miracle happened, watch, after he spent time with the Father right. after heavens were open. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Heavens were open. The power was there for him to go and fast. There was a supernatural power release for him to go and fast those 40 days and 40 nights. And then the tempter came. He tempted him with three things. And basically, if you study it out, you remember uh, you have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The devil, that basically wraps up every temptation. The devil tempted him with all three of those things. And whereas, I imagine every other prophet and every other man of God and every one other one that said, I'm the Messiah. And the devil probably tempted all of them and they all fell for it. But all of a sudden, you know, here's heaven open, spiritual world shifts. God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? The devil's like, oh no, what is going on? I tell you what, I'm going to wait till he's at the end of this fast when his body is all ravaged and he doesn't have, and then I'm going to tempt him. You see, the devil, the devil a lot of times, he'll wait till all the pressure's on, then he tries to pile on. Right? This is how this, his, his MO, this is how he works. You've got to understand that and recognize it. He tries to get you uh, under a lot of pressure so that you'll make decisions under that pressure if you don't know how to connect to God in it. But if you know how to connect to God in it, you can be under all that pressure and still think clearly, see everything clearly, and hear from the Lord. And so here, right at that moment, here he comes. He tempts them with those three things. And, and one of the first things that Jesus said is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man shall what? Live. And we know that living is not just, not just a little living. It's living to the full till it overflows. So man shall have fullness of life by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So again, what's he showing you there? He's saying, whatever I'm going to bring to you is to get fullness of life to you. But then all of a sudden, the devil tries this temptation. Mm, that didn't work. He gave me the scripture. He tries this one. Mm, that didn't work. He just gave me scripture. He tries this one. Mm, that didn't work. He just gave me. And then, then, the devil, then the devil is sitting there like, man, I don't know what else to do. I ain't got no more tricks. That was all of them. But it didn't matter if he had any more or not. Jesus says, Go. And the devil's like, wow, he's getting pushed off somewhere. Now imagine what the devil's thinking. This has worked on everybody else. This guy just handed me my tail. What has happened? What has shifted? And you imagine, you know, I, you know from that point forward, all the devil's about is taking Jesus out. And he can't. Yeah. 
Because the heavens are open and Jesus knew how to operate and he lived a life that filled him with that power. And he came. And he's there to get that power and light into the hands of people. So then, you notice when he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is a shift. You're not going to live by physical bread. You're going to live by the Spirit. You're not going to live by physical means anymore. You're going to live by the Spirit. You're not going to hit the rock. You're going to speak to the rock. You're not going to live as a condemned Man under the curse, you're going to live as the children of God. There's a shift. So you see this whole thing leading up, it's, it's shifting something. It's turning something in the spiritual atmosphere. And all of this is building up to the Sermon on the Mount. His first great message, the great sermon that we know of. And then uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 is where he says, go, Satan. So he demonstrates the power. Go, Satan. And, and all of a sudden, he's not just talking about the power. The power is released and it works. Then in verse 16, I love this verse. Matthew four sixteen. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. They weren't just left alone. They weren't just left in shadow and darkness. Light dawned on them. What does that represent? That That means that hope sprung back up. I'm telling you now, no matter where you've been or, or who you are or what side of the tracks you grew up on or what color your skin is, I don't care where you come from, there's hope for you in Jesus Christ. Amen. Upon you, a light has shone in the form of Jesus Christ. And maybe you've never heard about it till today, but there's a light Amen. In him that you can have. And it can be a reality, not just a pipe dream, not just a theory, because that's who Jesus is. Upon you can come the revelation of God's hope, and he can release that power into your life. And verse 17, from that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your way of thinking. There's a new sheriff in town. Change your way of thinking. There's a power of God that's been released and the heavens have been opened for you. Change your way of thinking. There's hope for you. I want you to walk like me. I want you to walk like you were designed and created as a child of God. There was a switch. And then you go down to verse 23. And you see that he demonstrated exactly what he was saying. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The good news, not not the condemning news, the good news 
of the kingdom, the good news of the king's reign, the good news of the rule of the king that had entered as the heavens were opened. And as he did that, he proclaimed the good news, the gospel, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. In other words, he proclaimed it and then the power of heaven backed up what he was saying. Because it was true. And it was now. The kingdom, the king's rule, the king's uh, domain, the king's dominion, it was now and in their hands. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought, him, brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various disease, pains, demoniacs, ep- epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Judea, Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond Jordan. When Jesus saw the crowds, chapter 5, he went up on the mountain And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying. And then the great sermon begins. The picture that I want you to see is, as we go into this series and this teaching on the great sermon, don't go without understanding that Jesus was teaching to lead us all into light and power. When we go through each verse and each thing that he said and gave us an example of, you got to understand that everything around it was designed to impart into you a light, a revelation, a hope. And his power. It wasn't something to be played with. It wasn't something to bring you condemnation. It was something to bring a transfer from heaven that had now been opened and into your life. It is the great sermon is instruction to light and power. When you see that everything that he was about was to get these things into the lives of people. You understand then that the great sermon was instructions on how to live and stay in that place where light and hope and revelation could flow and power of God could flow through you. That's what it is. It's not a condemnation message. It's an empowering message. He, what he was teaching were many of the issues that trip up people on the way to light and power. So many times the issues that he preached on in the great sermon, they're the issues that people trip over and they fall and they miss the path in getting to that place. And if we as a people will see what he's done and we will put it to work in our lives, we can step into being that light, being his hands and feet in the, in the world. We can step into the place where when we pray for somebody, something happens, the power of God is released. We can step into the place where even when the devil tries to do stuff in your life, you're like, oh, no, devil. And the devil do the same thing that he does to Jesus because you're operating like him in his righteousness. He'll be like, whoa, what just happened? Most people don't resist me like that. But what happens is we submitted to him and his ways. And that submission leads us to the place of grace or the place of empowerment. And now the devil's got to listen to you. That's where Jesus is trying to get us, to the place where our lives become a hope for others. Our lives take on a power. 
I want to show you one more type and shadow, and then we'll wrap up. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 42. First Kings 18, verse 42. One of the things that hit me in studying this is that there was another time, another type and shadow when the heavens were opened, when prayer brought about an opening of the heavens. And what was the result? There was a famine in the land that had been happening for three and a half years at this time. Three and a half years. To the Lord, a year is like a thousand years. This is almost three and a half years, almost 3,500 to 4,000 years since the fall of man. And just like this, there was a famine. There was a drought in the land. There was no life-giving water for this period of time. And then the man of God at the Lord's leading prayed and the heavens opened and the rains fell. And all of a sudden at that moment, life through that rain, that life-giving water opened up over the whole earth again. And all of a sudden people had hope. They had hope. But that wasn't the only thing that happened. Let's read this. Verse 42. It says, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Here he's praying. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven times. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. If I remember correctly, uh, the distance here was approximately 16 miles, I think. That's from memory. So if it's wrong, it was a good wait, over 10 miles. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins, he got his, stuff, his cloak together, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now I want you to see a couple of things. This was a type and shadow of what would happen when Jesus prayed and the heavens were open. All of a sudden, the life-given water of God flooded the earth again, and life was given to a people. And it was like this. What looked like was just the size and the power of a man's hand turned into a torrent of the life-giving water of God. See, when we recognize that what God's given to us, when he opened heavens through Jesus Christ, it may look like in front of you is just a man. You may look in the mirror and just see a man or just see a woman of God. And it may look like flesh and blood, but on the inside of you, what starts with just a hand is when you start to put uh, the power 
of God to work in your life. It releases a life-giving torrent to your family, to your co-workers. It releases a hope and a future and life all over the place. It starts just by seeing, I see that I'm just a man. I see that I'm just a, a person, a human being. But I recognize that on the inside of me, there's a lot more because the heavens have been opened and the power of God has been released. Not only that, but when the heavens are open, the anointing will come on you in such a way that you will do supernatural things. And it is not just to the pastor. It's to every believer. When Jesus opened up the heavens, the life and the hope and the power of God was released into the earth. Now he's just looking right now for the kind of people who will say, I want to be that person. Use me, Lord. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Lord, I'll be your light. I'll be your hope. I'll be your hands and your feet. And you will take these hands and turn them into a storm cloud against the devil's devices. And you will bring a life and a hope through me, little old me, but with Jesus is big old me. And you will bring a power on me to allow me to do supernatural things. That's who God sees in you. And in this great sermon, it's not about just giving you a list to do. It's about releasing God inside of you. It's about releasing the kingdom of God inside of you. It's about releasing who you were created to be. And no matter where you, you've come from or who you are, you can be used by God simply by getting the heart to the place that says, Lord, I'm all in, use me. I just ask you to bow your head right now. If that's you and you're saying, Lord, today, we're going to do two prayers. The first one is you're just saying, Lord, today, use me. Use me. I'll, I need this hope in my life. Maybe you want to be used by him. Maybe you just want some answers. Maybe you just want some answers in your life. I need that hope. I need that power of God in me. Is that you? You need that power of God in your life? If that's you right now, I just ask that you raise your hand and keep it up. I might, have, I might have given you my life before, but today I need a change. I, I'm, I'm doing good, but I've got to go to the next level. I can't hear that message and not go to the next level. I can't hear that message and stay where I've been. I need your hope, Lord. I need help. If that's you, I just ask you to raise your hand. Keep it up so I can see them. Anybody else? I need to go to the next level. I need hope. Keep it up so I can see them. Lord, I need you. I need all of you. It's not saying that you're doing it wrong. It's saying I can't do it without you. I need you. If that's you, raise your hand. Anyone else? I just ask you right now, you can put them down. Now, everybody who raised your hand, and even if you didn't raise your hand, pray this with me. Just say, Father, right now, 
I need the life-giving water of God. The hope of Jesus. The hope of your glory. Your power. I need it. I want it in my life. I've got to have it. And I know that that power was released through open heavens. But I also know that it's maintained by fellowship with you. And so Jesus, right now, I want fellowship with you. You're my Lord. Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're the director. You call the shots and I'm obedient. I'm not just going to amen on Sunday morning. I'm going to live it throughout the week. And I believe that you died for my mess. For my sin. You gave yourself to the cross. And it took you to the grave. And your love took you to death. For me. And I believe that God didn't leave you there. That he brought you back to life. And when he raised you up, he raised me up. And I'm no longer in that death. But I'm alive in you. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Ghost and fire to be your witness. Empowered. Confident, bold for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your head bound. If you prayed that prayer today, whether you raised your hand before or not, but you prayed it today and you needed to pray it, you felt the power of God or you just needed to release that, I want to pray for you. So raise your hand so I can see who it is I'm praying for. I prayed it. I needed to pray that today. And I felt it. Just raise your hand. Keep them up so I can see everybody. Keep them up for another second. I'm just looking. Yes, Lord. Lord, I see those right now. Father, I just ask right now that their eyes of understanding would be opened according to your word in Ephesians 1 and that they would be strengthened with all your might, not even their might, but your might, Lord. They would just make the choice that I'm choosing you. And Lord, I ask you to strengthen them to live this out, to live what we learn in the great sermon, to live this thing in Jesus' name.